Okay, she has 46 felonies. He was sentenced to 500 years in prison. When she got out, she started Radical Restoration Ministries, which is a healing and deliverance ministry home for women coming out of prison. He gets out and goes to Bible study at the home of the judge who sentenced him to five 99-year sentences. Wow, they were both at a conference one day. The Holy Spirit intervened, and the rest is history. Join me today as we visit with Ron and Don Atkins and do some background checks. Let's go! Have you or someone you know had your life turned upside down because of your past? Of course I have. Everyone does background checks now, which makes it hard to bounce back. What do you believe? I believe your background shouldn't hold you back. It, sh- it should pay you back. This podcast will inspire you, motivate you, and inform you with everything you need to rise above your past and, and not be afraid to say, go, go ahead. Check my background. My name is Jaden Gum, and this is Background Check. You already know. Let's go. You can check my background. I'm a forgiving felon, so tell them that I won't back down now. You can bet I won't live in regret. It's time to earn some respect. You are tuning in to Background Check. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to this edition of Background Check, brought to you by Forgiven Felons helping people with the past realize their future. If you'd like to know more about Forgiven Felons, who we are, what we do, and our future plans, visit us at ForgivenFelons.org. All right, I spent eight days in solitary confinement. She spent four months in solitary confinement, and he spent 13 years back there. Together, they run an awesome ministry and share their stories everywhere. Ron and Don, welcome to Background Check. It's good to be here. It is, uh, it's an honor and privilege to be here. Um, for my listeners, again, this is uh, Ron and Don Atkins, and they run Radical Restoration Ministries. And I tell you what, you know, I follow you guys on Facebook, and I see the faces of the, the pictures of the girls, the ladies that y'all you post. And, I mean, it just warms my heart to know that this is going on. And um, we're going to hear more about it because it, it goes on way more in way more places than I even realized. So I'm excited to have you guys on the show today. Individually, your stories are incredibly amazing. But together, together, I mean, you guys are changing the world. So, um, so well, first of all, let, let me just have y'all introduce yourselves. And, uh, and then we just kind of go, go with the flow. Talk about the ministry first, if you want kind of how y'all stories uh, intertwine at some point, how y'all met. So, uh, but tell us, tell us first a little bit about Radical Restoration Ministries. So Radical Restoration Ministries is a pretty much a discipleship home that um, we bring girls in, whether it's human trafficking, coming out of prison, coming out of addiction, um, aging out of foster care. We've had girls from all over. But um, our, and you got homes where? In we do. Well, we started out in Tallahassee, um, have a home in Ormond Beach, uh, have a home in Georgetown, Texas. Uh, one of the daughters of our ministry has two homes in Indiana. Wow. And uh, we have daughters all over the place that are just going in the prisons and in the jails and, um, you know, evangelizing and sending girls to us um, to come in. And, so it's a true discipleship. You're, you're yes. discipling them and then sending them out. Yes. 
send them out to change the world, whether it's in the mission field or in prison ministry or even just the mission field of their families, you know, right. seeing them restored. Sometimes that children. can be a pretty large mission yeah. field. That's usually number one, yes. you know, is, is yes. getting their kids back. Yeah. So uh, you also are involved in the prisons in Florida. You have a position, a title there. What do you do for them in there? Well, um, I, when I got out of prison, the first thing I wanted to do was go back. I wanted to come back and uh, tell girls how real Jesus really was, that, you know, I did make it. And I had never experienced a lot of that, you know, during my 26 years of recidivism. Right. And uh, they told me, you know, you can't come back, you can't come back, and it's got to be at least three and a half years out. Oh, and, wow, that's a long time. Yeah, and, um, and I knew God had given me a vision of going back in, and I just really stood on that. And I'd go and sit in the classes, you know, where you get your PIN number to go in, and they'd laugh and say, you know, Dawn, you can't come back in. And, um, and I just knew that God told me I could. And uh, I worked in a barber shop cutting hair, and I had cut this guy's hair for about four years every other Saturday. And I uh, didn't know it, but he was the head chaplain of all the chaplains in the state of Florida. Oh, wow. And he had listened to my testimony and watched me start the ministry. And he said, you know what, Don, we're going to give you a PIN number. So finally, I got to go back in the prison. and um, finally got the number you wanted. I did, yes. <laughs> and um, Instead of the number you've been yes. given all these years. And so I started doing prison ministry um, about 2010, I guess, and started going back in the same prison I was in, started Bible colleges there, and wow. same chaplain I had had, and, and uh, same warden. And wow. Now, just, what did they think about that? It was awesome. They allowed me to take, uh, start a Bible college inside of the same prison I was in, same chapel. It was cool. And uh, my first graduating class, the warden gave me a certificate of excellence. And he said, Dawn, I'm so proud of you. You know, what you're doing here in our prison and, you know, what God's doing through your life. And when he gave me that, he said, you know, I don't know what I could ever do for you. And I said, you could get me back to solitary confinement where I came from. Nice. I want to go to T-Dorm. I want to go where death row is because I got set free two doors down. And I said, I want to go back to the hardest of the hard. And he said, you know, I don't think I can give you that clearance. And I said, God told me I'd come back. And sure enough, they gave me clearance and um, have allowed me to go in and work with the ladies um, on what I call life row yeah. and, um, for several years now to be able to go in and minister to those women. Wow. You know, my mom was into prison ministry way before I ever went to prison. She would go in with Mike Barber and, and they went to uh, the Mountain View unit, which at that time was death row. And, um, and so she got to meet Carla Faye Tucker and Pamela Brown, all those. And then that's where she learned that they said, they said, no, this is not death row. This is life row. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I, I love, I love that they, they do that everywhere. That's yeah. awesome. So, so you mentioned, you know, that going back to where you used to be, I mean, how, how did you get to where that used to be place was? I mean, you were telling me earlier. How many felonies you have? 46. See, I thought I was an overachiever. <laughs> I thought I was an overachiever with five DWIs. So, uh, so tell us, I mean, how did you get to that point? And yeah, well, I spent about 26 years, um, in addiction with a needle in my arm and, um, started out, you know, selling drugs and doing things like that. And through those 26 years, lost my kids and, you know, the things that addiction, leads us to in our life and ended up a homeless prostitute walking the streets. And um, I went through a lot through those 26 years. I was raped and almost beat to death by a serial killer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, just 
I went through 16 different rehabs and, you know, I would do step work and, you know, do everything that I knew to do to try to change my life in and out of mental institutions and um, just really was hopeless. Um, Thought I would always have this cunning, baffling disease that I could never overcome. And um, in 2005, um, I was arrested for the last time in Daytona Beach and um, with five new felonies. Wow. And um, I was a professional check writer. I knew how to scam people. I was, you know, manipulating and lying to survive out there and living in trap houses and, and stuff like that and just really wanted to die and uh, ended up being sentenced to prison and got into a fight. Um, been a fighter my entire life. Wow. And uh, was in a straitjacket in solitary confinement, hopeless. And really cried out to God, cussing, screaming, just mad because I couldn't die. And, um, you know, I just said, God, you know, if you, if you um, gave your life at the cross, then why am I always in confinement? Why am I always in a straitjacket? Wow. Why am I on all these psychotropic drugs? You know, I've um, had really pretty intense learning disabilities as a child. And um, God began to speak to me, and he said, because you're valuable. I put you in a safety deposit box. That's so good. So um, good. That day, um, everything changed for me. I had an encounter with love. Um, I never knew God is love. I experienced a lot of religion and, you know, wanted, I always knew God was real, but didn't know how to be a church lady, you know, and really couldn't see myself as that, you know, you know, I didn't, I didn't see a lot of joy in that stuff. And uh, God really began to speak to me and he said, uh, I'm giving you a blood transfusion. It's not just a, you know, a religious experience, but everything's changing. And he began to take me through inner healing and show me that uh, when he went to the cross, if I'd have been the only person on the face of the earth, he would have done it for me. Wow. And it, it really made me feel like I was his favorite. And uh, I never knew that having a relationship with God was real. I just you know, tried to obey the rules and regulations, and it didn't work for me. I couldn't wow. do it. So after that encounter, my, my entire life began to change. And, you know, I started praying and I'm like, God, if you'll give me the ability to be able to have understanding of the Bible, um, I grew up with such uh, a hard time with uh, reading and, and being able to understand and comprehend. And I would pray and God would give me the ability to start memorizing scriptures and not just to memorize it, but to, it went to my spirit. You know, I believed it and uh, my life began to change. And I was 40 years old and I said, God, you know, I've lost my kids. I burn every bridge. I have absolutely nobody that will pick up the phone and, you know, talk to me. You know, what am I, what are you going to do with my life? You know, I feel like it's, I've pretty much done and uh, God began to give me a vision of having homes for women like myself. Um, I was a violent criminal, um, been a fighter. I'd tear the house down, you know, to leave and go use. And I, I wouldn't get accepted to anybody's transition yeah, house because yeah. I was known for wow. having anger issues. And he said, um, I want you to be the one that takes those hard hearts to, mm. to bring them to me and share, so you know, the testimony. And so... That's where it all started with that vision right there in solitary confinement. And, um, and I said, you know, God, I, I believe you and I know this is real, but you're going to have to teach me, yeah. you know, how to do this. And he has. Wow. How, how, long, how many days did you spend in solitary confinement? Um, I spent about four months in there that time. 
um, spent four good months of uh, healing, forgiving, you know, forgiving things that I had done, forgiving myself and, you know, forgiving others. And wow. it just was an incredible time of um, experiencing the love and the presence of God. Man, I feel so small right now because <laughs> I spent eight days in solitary <laughs> confinement. You spent months, and Ron, how many did you spend? Thirteen years. Thirteen <laughs> years. Wow. Wow. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, just a little bit longer. Yeah. Yeah. Just a little bit. Yeah. So. Um, so. All right. You got the vision. You got the mindset change. You got the heart change. You got the blood transfusion. You know. Um, how long did you do in prison? And and what did you do when you first got out? So you can. I mean, I kind of, we kind of already talked about what you did when you got out, but sure. you know, what did, what did you do when you first got out? Yeah, well, I spent my time in prison, you know, still asking God, what am I going to do? What am I going to yeah. do? And he really gave me a heart to, um, to pray and minister to women and encourage them, you know, and push them to their potential. Even in prison, I got the opportunity um, from going in as such a mean, mad bad girl and coming out so different that people knew that was real. Yeah. It was authentic, yeah. you know, and if, if he can do it for her, I, he can do it for me and just really, um, getting low, you know, and encouraging girls that, you know, God's real. How long did you do in prison? Um, I did 18 months that time. Okay. Um, I did, I mean, I, in 26 years, I was in and out, you know, multiple times in jail and, and incarceration and, rehabs and different programs I was sentenced to, but um, really took that time in prison to um, really hear from the Holy Spirit on, you know, what does this look like? And he really spoke to me about identity and how he yeah. had changed my identity through, so good, yeah. you know, feeling like I was valuable to him. And, you know, I tell everybody I'm his favorite, but he wants us all to know we're his favorite. And so that's kind of what our ministry is. It's, it's taking people into the presence of God to where you have that encounter that you know you're his favorite. Yeah. Because he wants us all to know that. Um, I got out of prison in 2010-707. And um, uh, God really restored my relationship with my parents while I was there. And uh, um, went home to my mom's and he restored that relationship. I led my mom to Jesus and wow. my parents. And uh, nine months out of prison... Uh, I opened my first home. God just supernaturally brought you didn't people waste into any my time, life. Did you? No, I worked two jobs. Um, didn't have any zero support. Uh, I don't. I didn't have one person other than God that believed I'd ever make it. You know, all those felonies, and I'd been in the streets and fought everybody, and um, and I just trusted Him, and He brought the people and worked two jobs and just took care of uh, five girls and. He taught me what to do and what not to do and what worked and what didn't work. And uh, we went from there. I saved my money and um, got my nonprofit. And, you know, it's been a journey. It's I've made a lot of mistakes, but he's bigger than all of those mistakes. Yeah. And, yeah. and um, he knew my heart was just to help those. Um, you know, the, I've I've started six homes and. You know, I've had homes where everybody in there had murder charges. Wow. <laughs> you know, or where everybody in the home, um, you know, were had sex offender charges. And, you know, he loves us all. Yeah. 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 So at some point in, in, in your journey, you meet, you meet a guy. Um, tell us about that moment. Yeah, I, um, I guess... 
I had been doing ministry for a while, uh, had moved back to Daytona Beach and started doing ministry uh, where I came from. And uh, through a series of events and meeting different people, I had been asked to come out to Texas from Florida and uh, minister into the prison system for TDCJ and um, asked to speak at a Coalition of Prison Evangelists conference. And um, it was a really fun, exciting time and um, was in Waco and got to go and speak at the COPE conference. And it was really funny doing women's ministry and coming out of all the things that I had coming out of, a, you know, a life of prostitution and the events that had occurred in my life. I never uh, had a desire to be in another relationship. Yeah. I was pretty sold out to Jesus and he was my husband and you know, I was good with that. And I had, you know, like, Paul, I'm good. Yeah. You know, it's just going to be me and I you, Jesus. It. I and get it. I, I did that same thing when yeah. I was in prison. I, I was about to pray that prayer and commit yeah. to being a single man. And he said, nope, I got somebody set aside for you. I'll reveal her when it's when it's time. But, yeah. So I get that. I get that Yeah, that we, And we we did. And um, and I said, you know, God, I just, you know, I, I give it all to you. I want to be a bond slave. That's always been my, my word. And... Uh, speaking at the Coalition of Evangelists Conference, um, there was some friends, and uh, I had spoken the night before, and the next day I was had set up a table, and the head of volunteer services for TDCJ said, come here, Donna, I want to introduce you to somebody. And he now, what did you think as soon as he said that? I told him, I said, I'm not interested in meeting any man. <laughs> <laughs> I had told him, and that's exactly what were my words. I'm like, you know what, I'm going to go buy Starbucks. I got all these things to do. I don't, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm, I'm good. And um, he introduced me to Ron, and Ron came over. I had a book table there, and he came over, and uh, Ron was asking about my book. And I um, I don't know, the Holy Spirit did it, and I'm like, did you know you're his favorite? <laughs> and uh, it, was, it was pretty neat, and uh, God really spoke through me. And that day, as Ron was sharing his testimony, I had always said there's not a guy big enough and bad enough um, to be my husband because I knew that, where I had come from, you know, from street life and all that, that I had to be careful, you know. Yeah. And um, and sure enough, I think that God went and pulled Ron out of a 500-year prison sentence just for me. Wow. Uh, as he shared his testimony <laughs> that day. he does seem like he's big enough and bad <laughs> yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah. But humble enough. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and so that day as he was speaking, I just really heard the Holy Spirit say that um, that's your husband, and I said, uh, I'm going to have to pray about that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what she said was the devil is a liar. I said, the devil is a liar. <laughs> and I said, I'm like, where did that come from? And I actually, <laughs> I left that conference. I started crying and I left that conference. And I went home and um, I fasted and prayed and because I knew I had heard, you know, the voice of the Lord. And I fasted and prayed and I put out this fleece and I said, you know, God, he's going to have to read the word over me every day. He's going to have to be able to prophesy into my life and be the priest of my household. You know, I'm not wanting to disciple a husband. I, <laughs> I want somebody, you know, that, that, that can be yeah, the priest of my yeah. household and speak into my life. And I said, um, he's going to have to uh, pray over me every day and the ministry and have to love what I do because it's such a part, you know, of, of the calling of my life. And I said, and he's going to have to bring me yellow roses with red tips. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And all those things happened. You know, <laughs> I, when I tell people to make sure they have a list, yeah, they're waiting for that person to, to bring it to come into their life. And I'm like, do you have a list? 
like, what do you mean? I said, do you have a list of desires that you want God to, to, to have in this manifest in this person that you're waiting for? Yeah. You know, cause maybe, maybe God doesn't know what you want. And so he's not, can't bring somebody that doesn't exist yet. So I tell people, and so some people make fun of me when I tell them I had a list, you know, yeah. of things. And so that's good. You had a list. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was really impressed with her. Just the fact that she went back to school and got her PhD and, Overcame everything that she had overcome in her life. It was it was amazing. She so was both just of you were just woman. minding your own business, or you were yeah. minding God's business. Yeah, right. Uh, there speaking, and then all of a sudden, you know, yeah. that's crazy. God brought us together. Bam! Yeah. There it is. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so the dating courting began at that point, or was there? Was it just? Well, kinda... it was about from the day we met. There was probably like a three month time period there where she was just really wrestling with the lord over the whole thing and and he was you know giving me little hints here and there but he wasn't until um my friend jed that had went with me to the conference his his son's mother's in addiction real bad and meth addiction and so he wanted to try to get her in the program and he called on well she was speaking over in dallas at cheryl brady's church and she said, why don't you meet me over at the Olive Garden over here in Plano or somewhere. It was Allen or Plano, something like that. Anyway, so we went and met her, and I ended up getting her phone number through that process because uh, his phone was dead or something. We were trying to find a place, whatever. God just orchestrated yeah. the whole oh, thing. Yeah. You know? I love how God works. And so one morning, I, I started doing this thing when I first got out, sending out scriptures, you know. And... Uh, so yes, I, I know. Yeah. I get them. You get them. 5 a.m. 5 o'clock in the morning. So I was doing that, and God spoke to me. He said, I want you to text her and tell her you want to send her these scriptures. So I did. And she was like, sure. So I started sending her the word every day. Check. Yeah. Yeah. And then a little while later, he said, one day morning, I was sending her scripture. And, I said, and the Lord said, hey, I want you to start praying for her and her ministry every day. And so I was okay, Lord. And I said, I want you to tell her. She said, I want you, uh, God said, I want you to tell her that you're doing it. Wow. So I texted her. I said, look, I feel like the Lord put it on my heart to pray for you and your ministry every day. I'm going to wow. let you know I'm doing that faithfully. Wow. God's just checking them off yeah. the yeah. list, didn't yeah, he? And then did. uh, yeah. a little while after that, a few weeks, maybe a week later or so, he, he said, uh, she, she texted me, said, pray for me. I'm going to this big conference in, in Georgia, wasn't it? Speaking in front of a lot of people. Yeah, I and I was like, yeah. God gave me this whole word of knowledge about not being afraid to be vulnerable. And I was thinking, I was like, oh, that's pretty personal, Lord. I don't know if I could tell her this, you know. But I was thinking it's about the conference. But when she heard it, she knew I was talking about me. He's prophesying mm. over himself. Wow. Don't be afraid about to be himself. vulnerable to yeah. me. And it was a whole word to her about me. And I didn't oh, even know I was doing it. So good. <laughs> yeah. Golly, yeah. that's awesome. So after that, she was pretty convinced. Yeah. So and so she said she was going to Voice of Healing at Crossford Nations that right around that time period. Yeah. And she was like, why don't we meet up? And it would be like, kind of like a first date kind of thing. Yeah. And so uh, it was pretty cool. We met in Rockwall and um, went on our first little date. Well, when I was going to the airport, I stopped to buy some flowers, you yeah. know. Red, I grabbed the red roses. I started out the store, a dozen red roses, you know. And Holy Spirit just pulls me up. Whoa. It's like, they made the right ones. I'm Whoa. Like, I'm like, man. what, Lord? This ain't, this ain't, this red roses. Every woman likes red roses. Love, yeah. And he's like, nope. So I went back. Wow. And I start looking. I'm looking at the lilies and all the other little flowers arrangements. 
There's them yellow ones with red tips. Yellow oh, roses and red tips. Oh, my gosh. Holy Spirit, that's it right there. Yeah, and what wow. was so, so cool about that is I had been really transparent in front of the ministry, in front of the girls. You know, I said, you know, this is my list, and this is what I felt like God said, and, you know, he might do this, and he might do that, but he'll never get the roses. And a couple of the girls were with me when he picked us up from the airport. Oh, and when he opened wow. the door and he pulled those roses out, they're like, ah, oh my gosh. it's real, it's real. So it really increased their faith also, you know, about... To know that, that God yeah. did it for you, he yeah. can do it for them too. Yeah. And God really spoke to me after that about... Because we had just met and I I mean, I was like, Lord, how, am I, how is this going to be my wife? I'm not even in love with her. I don't understand how this is going to work out. You know, I really liked her a lot and I thought, you know I me, mean? And so... I was just praying, and God really gave me this vision about the old kings and queens. You know, I, when I was in prison, I used to read a lot about medieval stuff, you yeah. know, and just was really into that type of stuff and history and different things. And he told me about how the, the kings would marry their daughters off for, for the benefit of the kingdom, you know what I mean, like a political match. Yeah. And he showed me how he was bringing us together for the benefit of the kingdom. You know? mm, mm. And from that, from the day I got up from that prayer time that night, I was in love with her, and I've been in love with her ever since. And it's just been amazing. Don't you love arranged marriages? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was arranging our marriage for the benefit yeah. of the kingdom. It was perfect. Oh man, you know, yeah. just I don't want to hijack y'all's story, but but so that day in prison, I was praying, and I was like you said, I was committing. I was like, Lord, you want me to start this ministry? You want me to do this? You want me to do that? I don't want a relationship to distract me from building the ministry because I know how I can get. If I have a significant other, I can get distracted and, and just everything else stalls. And so I said, plus no woman deserves my baggage. You know, there's just no way she deserves it. And so I said, I, I want to be like Paul. Single man, ministry. If you want to bring someone after I get all the ministry built, all that, that's great. I'm happy. But today I'm going to pray and commit to you. And that's when he said, time out. I have someone set aside for you. She's not going to be a distraction for you. She's going to help you build your ministry. Mm -hmm. And then he said, she's not going to see your past as baggage. She's going to see it as leverage to advance the kingdom of God through testimony. Wow, that's good. That's awesome. And so I was like, all right. And, uh, and that's when he told me, he said, you need to start praying for her and her family. So I'm like, all right, I'm committed to it, you know. And then that was six months before I get out of prison. And then I, I get out of prison on April 18th, 2006, on a Tuesday night. My pastor and some other people, his wife and friends are, are at CeCe's Pizza to welcome me home. Because I love fine Italian dining food, and, <laughs> and, and and Pastor asked me to speak in his Bible study that he led the next night at Wednesday night church. I said, "Great!" So again, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to be doing, minding my right. father's business. And after that Bible study at 9:03 p.m., this angel floats into the room. That's awesome. And it was Jessamy, and the Holy Spirit said right then. He said, there she is. And then he brought back to memory that prayer I prayed. Mm -hmm. He said, I have someone set aside for you. And he was pointing me out. He was pointing her out to me. He said, there she is. That's the one I've said. And I've, I immediately, I mean, I got nervous because it was like I've known, our families have known each other for, for since 1981. We all came to that church together. Wow. And so, and I coached her when she was in eighth grade basketball. I coached her. And she didn't look, she, looked, she didn't look the same as she did in junior high. She looked way grown up now. <laughs> um, but he said, there she is. 
And immediately, my spirit was attracted to her spirit. And for the first time in my life, I was attracted to a woman for a spiritual reason. Right. First. Right. Now, now it wasn't like 30 seconds after that, I noticed she had a really nice body. Mm. Um, so I, because I had a list. <laughs> yeah. And I said, I need, I want my woman to have this physical attribute. Yeah. And just me has that. <laughs> has that. I don't have to talk about what it is, but mm-hmm. she met every sure. one of my phys, even my physical. He just cares about everything. Yeah, sure, he, does. he cares about it all. So, so all right. So you guys are you guys. When do y'all start? Like, was that was that it? When y'all started getting a little more serious? Yeah, yeah. We started uh, going through a, well, where like a courting process. Where, where do you live? At this I point? live in Texas, and but, she lives in Florida. Okay. Yeah. So we had to sort of manage it because um, I was working and just getting started back. You know, I had only been out a little over a year. And so uh, I had I had to uh, eventually I ended up going to Florida and, and meeting the girls. And that was a big deal, too, you know, because yeah. there was like especially one girl, Melanie, she had a lot of, of real fear of men and stuff. And, and uh, she was real nervous about me coming there. But God just really orchestrated that and next thing you know I'm Papa and it's all so, good you know yeah, yeah. And, and um God began to show me that um it was all about family and that he was the missing link to you know what had been going on in our ministry that yeah I was you know I was a bonus mom to these girls and I was discipling them but there was still a part of yeah. their life most yeah. of them were either fatherless or you know had been through some kind of trauma and yeah. abused by their fathers yeah. yeah one of the cool things that happened I moved to Daytona in 2013 and um, God brought me back full circle to this lady that had ministered to me when I was out in the streets on a street corner she had actually used to pray over me with a bullhorn when I'd be out there selling my body for crack You know, and he brought me full circle when I moved back to Daytona. I was really crying out for a mom, you know, a spiritual mom. I needed somebody to love me and to have a support system when I moved back to where I came from and went to a women's conference, you know, and here she is, this lady that, you know, I had gone back and forth with in the streets for years that had been praying over me and the other girls in the streets. And um, he... He brought me back to her, and I ended up um, in her church on the same, you know, in the same block where wow. I prostituted. Wow. Um, we have a church there, and so as, you know, I was kind of leadership in our church and everything, and so when I met Ron, it was really important to me, you know, that my spiritual parents, you know, approve and everything, so they announced it in the church, and we went through a courtship process. Wow. And she's uh, restoring the foundations in her healing counselor. And her and her husband, we would fly Ron in. And he went through inner healing. Uh, we went through... Um, they wrote a book called Kingdom Marriage about... Yeah. Yeah. Really about ministry marriage. You yeah. Know? yeah. We went and, through premarital counseling with them and um, just really made uh, them a big part of yeah. our premarital you know, process and the transparency with the ministry and everything. And they give us a list of things to do together, like uh, do some mission work together. We went in the prison and did a marriage conference with Johnny Moffat and, you know, different things like that, that they gave us a list to do. And, and, you know, so we could really see who each other, you know, how we function and who we are. So, all right. So went into all that, 
or you, maybe you heard it, I guess you heard his testimony, maybe some of his story at that conference. Mm-hmm. So you kind of already knew what you were getting in his past. Sure. So Ron, let's talk about that. Uh, for a little bit, man. Yeah. Where did it all start for you, and how did you end up with 500 years? Yeah, it started back in the early 90s when I was a teenager, and I was, uh, my father, he was a real, just a real hard man. He was, he was verbally and physically abusive, you know, and, and he was just a, a Korean War veteran sergeant, and he just, that's the only way he knew how to my operate. My was in Korean War yeah. as well. Yeah, and um, he was just a hard man, and so I, I spent my whole, you know, I was, I was in, they raised me in church, but only because he made us go, you right, know? And right. so I saw, that's the way I saw God. And it's just this hard, mean, you know, ready to beat me over the head, everything know. I've done wrong. And so uh, when I got old enough, I started rebelling and just, I couldn't wait to get out of the house and get out on my own, you know? And, and I ended up getting my first felony when I was 14 years old. Wow. And um, just into drugs and alcohol and just all I want to do is party all the time and so uh, I got that first felony, and from there, just became more and more criminal activity. You know, I like the rush of it, and the, just the just I just got into it, and that whole lifestyle thing, you know. And um, so when I turned seventeen, started going to jail, and ended up in prison. And then um, where were you? Where was this all at? Where this was live? in Northeast Texas, uh, east of Dallas, about okay. Greenville, Sulphur Springs gotcha. area, Hunt County, Hopkins County. Okay. And uh, so I was actually born in Irving in Dallas, but uh, when we were about, I was about 11, my dad moved us out east in the country and ended up getting more trouble than everybody <laughs> in the city. <laughs> but anyway, um, so in the mid-90s, I ended up being arrested on a string of burglaries in uh, the state of Texas. They pretty much uh, tired of dealing with me, and I went to court and and I ended up being sentenced to five 99-year sentences. Wait, say that again. Five 99-year sentences. For burglary. For five different burglaries, yeah. And there were, there were some of them were home invasion burglaries, so okay. they really frowned on that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They don't like it when you run in somebody's house with a, no. with a gun or anything, a knife or whatever. So you had five so, counts, and yeah. they, and they, uh, they 99-year sentence for each one. Concurrent mm-hmm. or stacked? Well, there were uh, there was three that were concurrent, and then the other three were stacked on those. The other two, I mean, were stacked on. Yeah. Top. So you had to do the first three first. Yeah. And uh, and so on a ninety nine year sentence, was it aggravated? Well, it's what they consider to be three G. Okay, so because then you would the have home to, invasion aspect. So of, then, be, so before you're eligible for parole on that ninety nine year sentence, you had to do how many years? Oh, uh, I don't remember. My projected release date was like twenty ninety five. Okay. So long time, <laughs> yeah. long time. So, so in their eyes, stacking the two on top of the first three that are running concurrent, with pretty much they were telling you that you you just spend the rest of your life in jail, yes, or in prison, yes. Okay. And so I went to prison, just very bitter and angry, and just I felt like that was going to be my life. And so I set about making a reputation of myself. And I know you know in prison, most yeah. I mean with the when the general population might makes right. And, you know, I mean, the toughest guy on the block gets all the respect and all that. So I so I set about trying to make a name for myself, being violent and just really carrying on, you know, assaulting officers and, you know what I mean, just trying yeah. to be the bad yeah. boy or whatever. And so uh, that, that, well, I mean, in a way it did, but 
in, in a way it didn't, you know what yeah. I mean? But it drew the the uh, gangs to me right. as being somebody that would fight for them instead yes, of, you know what I mean? Yes. And I didn't know any better, really. And so I ended up joining up with a gang and um, called Aaron Circle. And uh, just became, it just, that just led to more and more violence because right. once you get involved with them people, it's like, it's like they, they, if they see you will do it, they'll push you to it, yes. you know? Like we used to call it a crash dummy, yep. you know? Crash, crash <laughs> dummy. And so the, I, things went on like that for a while and uh, several gang wars we went through and lockdowns and different things, riots, racial riots and stuff. But I was on the Cofield unit at Tennessee Colony. And at the time, back in the mid to late 90s, it was probably one of the most violent Oh, units yeah. on the, in the state of Texas. Yeah, we we interviewed Richard Miles, and he said that he said that's when he went in was the mid nineties, mid yeah. to late nineties, and he said it was not what it is today. Yeah, yeah. very very much so. And uh, so in two thousand, the state of Texas got tired of dealing with me again, <laughs> and they declared me a security threat to the institution and staff, and also a confirmed gang member, and they put me in solitary confinement, administrative segregation where I spent the next 13 years of my life in five bay itself. Wow. On, on one unit? Well, most of it was on Cofield, but in 09, I got shipped to Telford unit because it wow. was more of a... Out in New Boston. Yeah. That is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, and it's more restricted. It's more like a super seg type yeah. environment instead of... Where Cofield is more of an open environment. Right. This is more of a closed, real closed-in environment and more secure because I had over 30 staff assaults. Even in solitary confinement, I would break out of the handcuffs. And I spent almost six years in level three as SEG, you know, which is the bottom yeah, of the barrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. And so uh, zero good time. Zero. Yeah, <laughs> I was just doing it day for day. I didn't care. And um, so things went on like that for a while. But in 09, when I got shipped to Telford Unit, my, my dad had passed away in 05 and I had been trying to deal with my anger issues. I just had this rage problem that I couldn't overcome. It's right. like I couldn't accept anything that the officers tried to do to me or, or, or any inmate that tried to disrespect me. I felt like I had to do something to right. challenge that at every, right. every turn. So even the least little thing like not bringing a juice or something on a chow cart, you know what I mean? <laughs> it sets you off, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember some people yeah. would just get really mad when yeah. something was missing. Uh, on God the really showed me, uh, looking back, I was like the gadrine demoniac in the Bible, oh, you know? Oh, yeah. I was wow. living among the tombs, cutting wow. myself with stones, you know, basically running around butt naked. <laughs> <laughs> but I had an encounter with the Lord on the Telford unit, and I had just been uh, indicted on a new charge that I committed in prison. Okay, and so that's and, where the extra five years comes yes, from. Yes, okay. and... uh I was actually facing a whole nother life sentence as a habitual criminal. And um, they came to me with a deal. And uh, they said, you either take this five years or we're going to try you and give you another life sentence. I was like, where I signed? <laughs> so I ended up signing the paper and getting the five years. So that made it an even 500 even years. 500, yeah. And they stacked that on top of the, the 99s, you know. So wow. Anyway. So, so you said... So what happened? What happened? So when, when was the day that it all happened? Then? Yeah, this was in December of '09, and uh, I was actually still going back to court on this charge, and still thinking there was going to be a life sentence. And I, 
only way I can describe it is like God just crashed in on me because I mean, I at the time I didn't even really believe there was a God. Yeah, I was into paganism and all kinds of crazy stuff that you get into with the gangs and stuff like that. That it's just really nonsense, but in there it seems important. But uh, God really crashed in on me one night. Um, I had an encounter with this dude that was coming through with Bill Glass Ministries, yeah, yeah. and he tried to talk to me but I wouldn't talk to him but he was praying over me and stuff and it was a little a few days later and I just everything just crashed in on me and I was I was like God I don't even believe you're real but if you are you're gonna have to show me because I don't think I can believe or have faith I, I just don't think I can and um man he the best way I can describe it is Jesus just showed up in the cell the presence wow. of God just fell in the cell and and I began to just cry like a baby. I hadn't done that in years, wow. 15, 20 years. And God just really set me free that night. And I had this old Bible, I always tell the story. I'd been smoking it, using it for rolling papers. That's what I had, so I had the Bible on the side. I just smoked up the whole Old Testament. <laughs> <laughs> I've been having that Bible for years and years wow. and years. Through all that stuff, I had that old Bible when I was just ripping the pages out of it. But God began to to open my mind to it. I began to read, read the new Testament and what was left of the Bible. Yeah. And reading it. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, that was what was left was the new Testament. Wow. That's all you need. That's <laughs> yeah. all you need. Yeah. So he began to really make it come alive to me and he really began to show me just like he showed Don that I yeah. was valuable Yeah, and that he had, that he had uh, been with me this whole time and that, you know, he'd heard my prayers when I was a kid, you know, and, when I went up into Baptist church and gave my life to Jesus just because I thought I was supposed to because my dad told me to or whatever, you know. Wow, we have that same story. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and he uh, he really told me that, he really began to show me that he had had his hand on my life the whole time. And so I spent three more years back there in that cell, still a confirmed gang member, even though God really showed me I had to put all that stuff away. Yeah. And I, I began to just separate myself from them and just really try to try to I never got a I had over 250 disciplinary major disciplinary cases in prison 30 staff assaults and for those of you who don't know that that takes a lot of work yeah. to get yeah. that many yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get that, it takes and, uh, a lot of work to get yeah. that many and from that day on I never received another case minor wow. or major in prison wow and uh, but I was still in solitary confinement still considered as a confirmed gang member even though I had put that stuff out of my life and um I just spent those three years with the Lord, and, and that, and you know, people began to send me books and a new Bible, and just you know. Now, who in your life knew about your transformation at that point? Well, like, really, really only yeah, about it? yeah. I had pen pals and stuff like that, and my mom, and you know, sometimes people would just come out of the blue and send me stuff. You know, okay. that God just put it on their heart for some yeah. reason, or somebody I knew told them about me, and they would they would come and and write me, but. Um, after about three years, I was really God was really dealing with me about my identity and who I was because for so long I'd always said, "Well, I got five life sentences. You know, you can't tell me nothing. You can't do nothing to me." Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. That was my thing. That right. was I made it my identity because it was so hard to deal with. Yeah. It was such a weight on me of being in prison and solitary confinement the rest of my life that I made it my identity to yeah. to live with it. And so God began to deal with me about that's, that. That's the devil's goal. Yeah. Is to get us to live with that. And that, so he began to deal with me about that and say, hey, you got to give that to me. You got to surrender all, everything. 
and even your reputation, you know, because I was like Rhino. That was mm-hmm. my nickname in prison, you know. Uh, hey, which, and, uh, why? Huh? Why was Rhino your nickname? I don't know. It's just what they started what calling they call me. Him. Yeah. And so anyway, he, uh, I did. I told him. I said, Lord, you know what? If I spend the rest of my life in here, it's okay if I have you. Wow. You know, I'm going to do it for you. Even if it's back here in the cell, I'm going to do it for you. And because I, I'm just, our relationship had got that intimate there in that cell, just me and him. Yeah. And did so, any of the guards start to take notice? Well, the guards there on the Tefford unit really didn't know me as far as being the violent because, person that I was. Because it, it kind of happened. All the violent yeah. stuff happened on Cofield. Gotcha. gotcha. So they really didn't notice anything, but not there. But <clears throat> so this was in 2012, and uh, they came to my cell one day, and they said. Uh, Wait, okay, so 2012. So how far into your sentence are you? I'm uh, about. A little over 15 years. 15 years into your whole mm-hmm. first? About 18 years, I think, okay. something like that. Okay. And uh, so God just, I mean, they come to my cell and they say, hey, Adkins, you got a parole interview. And so I'm no, I'm not even eligible till 70 years or yeah. something. And then I'm like, man, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, what's your number? I said, 80, 39. I said, yeah, it's you. Come on. Wow. So I ended up, I got handcuffed and go down there to What's the going interview. through your mind? I'm thinking it's a mistake. Yeah. Okay. You know what I mean? You know how sometimes they yeah. call the wrong person out for yeah. a visitation yeah. or, or they get the wrong name and they call you down for an interview or something. I'm thinking it's a mistake. Or just messing with you. Yeah. <laughs> or yeah, because, yeah, I was messing with me too because they did that sometimes too, you know. Especially on Cofield, I was yeah. on the blacklist, you know. <laughs> and so uh, anyway, they... They called me down there, and I basically just joked with the dude. You know, I was telling him all kind of drugs I did. You know how they ask you all them questions? I was telling him all the bad stuff. You know, usually you try to make it sound good, you know. And I was just kind of being sarcastic with him because I thought it was a mistake. And they took me back to the cell. and about, I just forgot about it. I went on about my business, doing my routine. You know, I didn't even, I didn't even think no more about it. I thought it was a mistake. And uh, about two months later, they came back. Six to eight weeks later, they came back and they, they brought me a piece of paper. It was, actually came in the mail. It was stapled up like an I-60. And um, I opened it up and it was from the parole. And it said, you made parole on all 599-year sentences. What? And it listed out the cause numbers of the crime, of sentences and everything. I was like... That is... What, what, what did you do, dude? I was just freaking out. I didn't think it was real. I didn't know what to think about I've it. I've already heard the story, but just hearing it again, yeah. I'm just blown away. Yeah, yeah. And they said, you uh, you have a... Um, okay, so I'm they basically to think gave of, you... What would they give you? F, you said F-I-1? C-U-F-I. C-U-F-I. I never heard of it before. It's called a C-U-F-I. Does that stand for cumulative? C-U, yeah. Maybe? Yeah. So the basically F-I on all of them. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. C-U-F-I, and, um, and I never you, have figured for the, out. For those of you listening, he said he's never heard of it before because I've never heard it before. I don't know that, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> if, if if people that have been in, around prison for a long time have never heard of that, yep. then you know it's a God thing. Yeah, it was called a C-U-F-I, and um, I went and even researched it. You know, I went to the law library later on and researched it, trying to figure out. I only met one other person that said they had received one. And it all has to do with stacked sentences, and it has to do with a law that happened in 07 that the last sentence in line becomes the the uh, active. Okay. And so uh, right at, in 
in June. That was in May of 2012. In June, I started the five-year sentence. So wait a minute. So just so we don't miss the, the, the other miracle. So your five-year sentence... That I got in prison. Saved you... Really activated. ...from another 99-year sentence yeah. being the last one up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, my... See, I, didn't, I didn't know this the first time I heard your story. Yeah. But, I mean, how God orchestrated that whole thing. If he you, did. If you'd have gotten life instead of signed for that five... Mm-hmm. Oh, I'd have been still, still wow. sitting there. <laughs> I'd have been still Run. sitting there. Yeah. So, so, so it takes it all the way up to your, now you're serving yeah. your five-year sentence. Now I'm serving my five-year sentence, and I can see light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, you know? yeah. But I'm still kind of scared, like if I mess up, or they take it away from me, you know what I mean? And so, uh, but I'm still in SEG, still a confirmed still gang member. Still in SEG, okay, yeah. wow. And so that's really a miracle in itself, too, because, you know, normally do it day for day back yeah. there, you know? yeah. And still actually a line three. My goodness. <laughs> and I need to be a line one to actually make parole. I mean, I mean. But that's why they started, when I started, I immediately came up for parole on the five because I had a year back time on it, and they started setting me off. They denied my parole. So what it. were you thinking back then? I mean, and so the, I'm miracle thinking, of, the miracle yeah. of all these FI ones, right? on, and then all of a sudden you're getting And so I'm off. thinking, Lord, what's going on? <laughs> And, you know, he's like, he's not even saying nothing, really. He's like, I got this, you know, just trust me. And uh, so I had been signed up for the grad program for years, almost three years. And um, they would never let me go because my staff assault, the SA on my staff assault record, they they, they would never let me go out of SEG for that. And uh, sure enough, that was in May and June. And then in October... They called me out and said, you're going to grad program, pack your stuff, you're on the chain. And so uh, I went to... For the, those of you who don't know what grad is... Yeah, it's the, gang, it's the gang renouncement and disassociation. It's a program that allows you to come out of solitary confinement, and it also allows you to be actually tagged as an ex-gang member officially by the state and taken That's off good. a list of Such being... Such a great program. Yeah, Such a great and program. it's an awesome program. It is. So it what really unit is. did you do that on? I went to the Ellis unit. Okay. They had just started doing it on the Ellis unit, and they, they were doing it on Ramsey too, but I went to the Ellis unit. And um, they have a, a a program you go through. It's a nine-month program, and you kind of go through phases where you, 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 you're you actually in cell lockdown. You got a little TV in your cell, and you work through that three, six weeks, and then you come out into a general population environment where you got to sell it again and it sort of transitions you back into and I needed that yeah you know because 13 years oh, and man. by yourself it's kind of you know weird to be around people again yes. and so uh and the guards are real strict you got to go by every single rule you can't do no messing up and and that was good for me too and and they had the classes like cognitive intervention anger management and they're secular classes true enough but god used a lot of that like thinking right um thinking reports and you know all the stuff they do in cognitive he yeah. really used all a lot of that stuff thinkings. yeah he really used a lot of stuff to point out to me right things that i needed to work on and so that was it was really a good and then when i graduated they let my mom my brother come up and uh wow. sit in the chapel with me wow. that was the first time i hugged my mom in 15 years my goodness yeah because i've been seeing her behind the glass all that time you know but uh then God's plan started kicking in some more, and I got shipped to the wind unit. And uh, over there on the wind unit, them brothers are in revival, man. <laughs> yes, they are. They're full yes, of the Holy Ghost, and God's just moving on that unit. People are just getting set free right and left. People getting healed. People's family getting healed. It's, 
It's awesome unit over there. Awesome congregation of brothers over there. Yes, it is. And uh, so I got put into that environment and got to begin to just really start getting built up spiritually because, you know, even though I was saved and um, filled with the God's Holy Spirit and just really trying to live for Him with all my heart, I still saw God as this big, mean man yeah. in this Abraham Lincoln chair with long white beard just and wait for you to ready up. to beat me over the head when I messed up. Yeah, and so <clears throat> met Mountain Mouse was there. You know, Michael Katermas. For those of you, uh, Mouse is uh, is somebody I met when I used to go into the wind unit, and somebody else uh, introduced him to our Forgiven Felons Transitional House, and then. I kind of got to know him that way, and, and so mm-hmm. he's 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 actually at our transitional house, yeah. so that's pretty cool. And so he told me about this class, you know, the Bethel School, School of Transformation. Yep. And it, so I got in it, and that's where God began to really use Charlie and Judy, who are the facilitators of it. They just began to use them as mama and papa in my life, and Charlie just models the love of the Father yeah. so well, yeah. and he began to take me through Sozo's inner healing and just really help me understand who my father truly is and who I am in him. And just, you know, that he's not that big, mean man. He's, he's a loving father and he cares about me and I'm valuable to him and he wants to see me uh, prosper and succeed in everything I do. And so going through that just totally transformed my life. Wow. Changed everything about how I see God and how I see myself, and just brought me out of a lot of hopelessness that I was yeah. that I was in, you know. And so, I was there for another two and a half years, almost three years. So, how far into this five year sentence are you? At? Yeah, it's about three. It's about three. Well, when I started, when I got there, it was about a year into it, okay. but another couple more years, and they never gave me parole. But I reached my mandatory supervision date. And then they actually denied that one time. And they, they took my short way. And then um, then the second time they gave it to me in 2015, May 5th wow. of 2015, I was released from prison. So now, did you ever uh, go to the Mike Barber weekends? Oh, yeah. Over there? Oh, yeah. So you, you, we might have ran into each other. Probably the, so. Yeah. I think service. I remember seeing you there with uh, his son. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we always used to talk about the Jordans he had on. <laughs> yeah. BB loves his Jordans. Yeah. He loves his Jordans. Uh, well, that's cool. So, you, yeah. so you've been out since 2015. Yeah. What, what, what uh, month did you get out in? May, May, May 5th of 2015. So you've been out five years. Yep. So if you see the common thread, it's 500 years plus five. A bunch of fives in my 599 story. plus five more years. He gets out five, five, 15. Oh it's my just God. God's grace. grace. Yes. So mine was eight. <laughs> mine was I was in solitary confinement for eight days. Yeah. Uh, and that happened. I went in on September 18th. Uh, and then I got out of prison at April 18th. And then I got married two years later on April 18th, 2000, <laughs> 2008. Wow. So mine was the number New eight. Beginning. So, so you yeah, like, you like Will's 818 yeah. then, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I love, I love how God speaks to us in yeah. every, awesome. every way possible. Yes. Through yeah. numbers, sure. through conferences, nature, through, uh, through, through just everything. Yeah. yeah. So, all right, well, we already talked about how you guys met. Yeah. You know, and, so I just want to say one thing about when I first got out. Yeah. Because um, they're supposed yeah, to give your ID yeah. card, social security card, and stuff, but I didn't get mine, and so I had to go through all this process of getting that. 
And I didn't know how to use the email. I didn't know how to use the debit card or none of that Nothing. stuff. I was like Rip Van Winkle just waking up, you know, from a 20-year nap. And uh, But that really put it on my heart for men and, and women that um, come out of prison that just, you know what I mean, they've been, especially the ones that have been there for a long, long time, time yeah. that um, they, they need a little help, yeah. you know. And thankfully God brought people in my path from my church and different things that, that helped me, you know, get my stuff together and get a job, get a vehicle and just from really, your church. So when you yeah. get out, you move back where? Back to Silver Springs? Back to my mom's, yeah. There okay. well, it's a little town south of Silver Springs called Lone Oak. Lone Oak. Small yep. town. Yep. Okay. And uh So you're involved in church, people are yeah. helping you. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden one day you Yeah, I get called to go. Charlie called me and asked me if I'd speak at this conference. And so me and a friend of mine drive down to Waco and I met my wife. That's awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. Yeah. All right. So, so now was uh, so the day in church where you told your pastor, or you told somebody. Okay. Yeah. So was that before or after you, you? No, that's when I met her. We got married. It was after we got married. It was after you got we, married. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so we came back to Texas because I was still on parole, and um, we we're gonna we we're gonna start doing whatever God lets us do here, and. Uh, we were in that little church where I'd been going to church, and uh, that's when I met a man. Uh, pastor introduced me to him as being Robert Newsom, Judge Robert Newsom, and I was like, "Man, I know that name from somewhere. Where I know that name from? I couldn't I just couldn't place it right away. Yeah. And but I knew it was I knew I knew it from somewhere. And finally, it was a little dinner after church, and it dawned on me. And I went over and I told Pastor, I said, "You know what?" I think that's the judge who sentenced me to five ninety nine year sentences. Wow! <laughs> and he's like, "Nah, I don't think so," because he's the county judge now, right. you know, and they don't really do felony cases. But he uh, he ended up calling him later that week, and he's supposed to come back and preach the next Sunday. And so Pastor called him up, and um, he was uh, he went back and checked his records, and not only was he the judge who sentenced me to five ninety nines, he was the prosecuting attorney who sent me to prison the first time I went. Wow! And so we had a little history going yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so. But God had really already brought a lot of healing in my life about my trial, about everything, you know, forgiveness. And um, so that next Sunday, we were in church, and he preached his message on intimacy with the Father. Wow! And that was kind of <laughs> that was a. How a little awesome bit of a clue, yeah. yeah. And so me and Don went up at the end, and you know he looked up at me. He was like, "Are we all right?" You know, because he's a little small guy. <laughs> so he already he already knew who you were yeah, at that point. Yeah, yeah. Okay. He had already went back and looked, and uh, so he said, "Are we yeah, all right?" What'd yeah. And he, he, I was like, "Yeah, man." I gave him a big old hug, and oh. he he immediately said, "You know what? We're having prayer meetings at my house on Tuesday and Sunday nights. Won't you come? And uh, you and your wife come and be with us and." You know, I was like, sure. So next thing I know, I'm in the judge's living room oh, with wow. about 15, 20 other people. And the Holy Spirit is just moving in that place, man. Oh. I mean, they were just worshiping the Lord and the power of God was falling. People were getting healed and set free. And there was other people there that he had sent us to prison My goodness. and, you know, that had known him all their lives. And so God just began to move in that situation. And uh, it wasn't long before... They had Don in front of all the county officials, you know, the judges, the DA, the sheriff, and just really giving her testimony. And the city manager came in a meeting one night and just out of the blue, they'd been trying to invite him for a year. And he showed up and 
he was so overwhelmed by Don's testimony that night. He had us, he took us to his house about 10 o'clock at night and woke his wife up wow. just so we could, because they got a son in addiction. Oh, wow. And so we ministered to them, you know. It was pretty awesome. But anyway, so the sheriff, when he when she was in that meeting with all the county officials, the sheriff at the end of it, he was like, when can you be in my jail? And that's, which is the same jail I was in, you know. It's a yeah. new one now, but yeah. it, that same county jail was where yeah. I was at when I was sentenced. And so... She said, we started going in. We ministered to the women first, and God just started moving on their hearts. We took a couple of them out and sent them to our house in Florida. And they ended up, instead of going to prison, they got sentenced to the beach for 18 months. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> really started going in and doing one-on-one inner yeah. healing with each woman, you know, and just praying with her and just, you know, walking through forgiveness and talking yeah. about the power. Yeah. Of the Holy mm-hmm. Spirit. And they started, so they started making, like, they had men trustees in the jail, but they didn't have women. But the women got so filled with the Spirit and so, I mean, I guess they were just making an impression on them. They started using them as trustees, too. Wow. And uh, they affected the sheriff so much, he gave his life to Jesus. Oh. <laughs> and you know, and he mean, got that... baptized in the Central Baptist there in town, you know. Wow. And uh, so they started, letting, they actually let the girls come to Sunday services there. At first, and then um, as we started ministering to the men, God began to move on their hearts and began changing them, and it got to the point, and the jail administrator, he used to be a warden on the Hughes unit. His name is, uh, what's that, I can't remember his name. Kenneth Dean. Kenneth Dean, yeah. (laughs) It was right on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, he he was really awesome guy, too. God really had a... He had retired from TDCJ after 30 years, mm, and wow. he'd been a senior warden on the Hughes unit for a while. And uh, he was just on his horse out in the pasture, and God basically knocked him off his horse and told him you need where to, what to do and where to go. He ended up in Suffer Springs, and um, he met his wife there, and she's a spirit-filled lady, and he ended up, she ended up, you know, leaking all over him. <laughs> you know what I mean? The Holy Spirit. Man, when you get around awesome. the Holy Spirit, he's going to get on you, you know? And so he started, uh, the judge's meeting went from those 20 people in his living room to about 400 in the Civic Center. Wow. And they started renting the Civic Center for the meetings in about an eight-month period. And they started bringing the inmates out of the jail to the Civic Center to have church with us. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, I already knew this, yeah, in their, I didn't know it was a Civic Center. So Yeah, in their stripes. Yeah. So on Tuesdays and Sundays, the inmates are actually bused to the Civic Center and have church with the congregation. No handcuffs. No handcuffs, no nothing. No handcuffs. Not segregated from the regular No, they, well, they put them in there. Yeah. They're, you they know, have they got a couple of rows that yeah. they have for them. They but sure. just kind of yeah. Yeah. separated. Man, wow. But their yeah. families are allowed to come and go to church with them. Wow. Yeah. What, and, it's and that, pretty powerful. And that was all started by the judge. Yeah. Mobius going into did jail. He, and, did he ever like say, "How in the heck are you are you out of prison?" Because I mean, yeah. he knew what he sentenced you to. Yeah, he knew how you how you yeah. were sentenced. So did he ever say, you know, I mean, obviously when you're starting, well, telling he likes story, to say the jury did. He just tapped the gavel, <laughs> but <laughs> you know how that goes. But uh, he, uh, I mean, he just he just recognizes a miracle from God. He. Just, so when you, you know, first just, saw him, though, like how he's, it all happened, he was... Mm-hmm. He's, a, he's a, a mighty man of God. He'd been in ministry over 40 years, you know. He was actually a dairy farmer, and <laughs> wow. God God spoke to him one day out in his pasture and told him he needed to go to law school. Wow. 
And so he packed up, moved to Lubbock. Wow. He sold the farm, moved to Lubbock, went to law school, became an attorney, and then became a DA, and then became the judge. Wow. You can't yep. write fiction <laughs> better than what this whole thing is. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. I love the way God writes stories. Yeah. So he knows the miracle power of God as well. And, and also, God healed him of cancer. Wow. He was diagnosed with prostate cancer, and, and uh, it was, I mean, it, they caught it pretty late, and they didn't know what was going to happen, but God healed him. And then he spent a year at Christ for the Nations. Yeah. And he then was, he went he, back and became the county yeah, judge. Yeah, he retired as the district judge, and he thought he was going to go into missions work in the Philippines. They got relationships well, with a lot of churches. He's right there in my neck of the woods. Yeah, CFNI so, is right down the street from me. Yeah, he went to school there for a year, and they thought they were going to go into the mission field in the Philippines. But then God called him back to Suffer Springs, and they wanted him to, to run for a county judge wow. and take over the county, you know. So that's what he did. My and, goodness. And then we what showed up. <laughs> <laughs> and so they still do that, right? They still take the inmates every every and They every still Tuesday, do. Sunday. Yeah, it's still going and y'all on. Y'all go up there once more, right? Yep. I was just there last Sunday preaching. Yep. Okay. So um what else is part of your story that, that, that people need to know and need to hear? What else? Well, when we were in, we were actually living in Florida for a while, um, what, two years ago? And uh some attorneys from here in Georgetown had uh they had just they were actually came out of catholicism and god really moved on their hearts and they started going to you know a spirit-filled church and um god really he was a a criminal attorney an immigration attorney and um god really put it on his heart about doing parole law you know i mean getting into the parole thing parole attorney thing and so he started doing that but he really god really put it on his heart to really pray with his clients and really um, um, help them, you know what I mean? Not just get them out, but help them. And so they started looking for a ministry that, you know, dealt with uh, people coming out of prison and stuff. And and the one, one he, he had several women clients, so he was looking at women's ministry. He saw some of Don's CBN videos on 700 Club. So both of y'all have been on CBN before. Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, she's had probably two or three times. And um, so... They just really, uh, they called Don up one day and said, hey, can we come out and visit the ministry and, you know, just see what y'all do? And so when they did, they started talking, telling us about Georgetown, you know, and, and uh, <clears throat> what God wanted to do here. And they really felt like a ministry like that would be good here, you know, and so they could have a place for these people to go to wow. and women to go to. And so... <clears throat> We didn't. We didn't really. I mean, we were on the beach, you know. We didn't really think that much about it. <laughs> I kind of laughed. That's good. That sounds good, but I, I think we're good. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll th- pray for that. <laughs> and he was like, "Well, it'd be like they were trying to raise some money and do some stuff, and it'd be like eighteen months." He said before they really had the ability to help bring us here or whatever, and so we didn't think much else about it. But through a whole sequence of events, God led us all the way back to Texas, back to Suffer Springs, and then. Here to Georgetown, and um, right at the right time, exactly almost exactly eighteen months later. Wow! I didn't really realize why we were here until I learned that there's twelve thousand, approximately twelve thousand women in prison within what an hour. This is Region Six, where most of all the women's units. And I thought, oh, makes perfect sense now. You know, what is the big deal about Georgetown or this area? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's just all been right. amazing. It's where this region is where all the women's prisons yeah. are located. So uh, wherever your homes are, 
um, in Indiana, you said? We yeah. do. We have some in Florida. Huntington, Indiana, Florida. Huntington, Indiana. What or, part of Florida? Ormond Beach, Daytona yeah. Beach Ormond area. Beach, Daytona Beach. Mm-hmm. And then Texas, just here yes, in Georgetown, in Georgetown right now. Georgetown, mm-hmm. so far. All right. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's listening and um, and they have somebody in these areas, or any area really, sure. uh, that, that would maybe need a place like this, what would you say to them? Um, I would say just reach out to us at Radical Restoration Ministries. We're going to put all the links com. at Gmail, or you can see our website. We're going to put your email address. We're going to do websites. Sure. All those links will be, whenever they click on this episode, sure. they'll be able to see all those links. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, is there, I mean, is there just in general, is there some kind of criteria they either meet or don't meet before they, you know, uh, can can call or, or, or even even talk to you? Or? Well, our, our lane is pretty much helping people coming out of incarceration, you know what I mean, to acclimate okay. back into society. Okay. Um, love helping women with their CPS cases, get their kids back. Okay. Our vision is to have a program for women to actually have the, the ability for their kids to come and live with them and, yeah. you know, teach okay. them the other side of the healthy parenting skills and you know, stuff such as that. Okay. So now if somebody's not coming out of prison, but they're just lost in addiction and need a restart in life, do you guys help uh, with those those ladies too? We do somewhat, yes. Okay. But your main demographic, kind of like ours at yes. Forgiven Felons, is yeah. people coming out of prison. Yeah. That's, okay. that's truly the lane is to help women yeah. coming out of incarceration. And that's, you know, I, I, I um, at one, one year, we've been doing the transitional house now for eight years, and one year... Uh, I took a lot of people that didn't come from prison and, um, and I learned really quickly that you got to stay in the lanes. God called oh, you man. Yeah. Because I would say almost over 90% of the people that we took in that did not come straight from prison did not work out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it was cause we were trying to give them help that God did not call us to help with. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I, I told God at one point, I said, God, this can't be about me just filling beds up to, because we charge the guys to live there, um, you know, until we find that that one wealthy person that'll just take care of all of our bills for us. Sure. Mm. But we charge the guys to live there, you know, and um, uh, and I, but I, I told God, I said, I don't ever want it to be about the money. I don't want to keep somebody there just because they're able to generate money towards our us paying the bills. I said, sure. God, I want you to pay our bills, and I want whoever needs to be in the house at that time. And it's been tough because we can we have capacity of ten, and for the last almost almost nine or ten months, everybody that was supposed to come from prison has been denied parole. Mm-hmm. So we've been left with only four or five guys in the house for almost nine months now, uh, and that's not enough to pay even rent. Sure. And so, God has just taken care of us all along the yeah. way. It's like, he, don't try to fill it up. He's so don't faithful. Don't try to fill those beds up. Yeah. Don't he do is it. faithful. Don't do it. Don't do it. And so, um, it's man, because it's his. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I have found sometimes that less is more effective, yeah. Yeah. you know, and he showed me one time I, I, um, I used to work at uh, teen challenge and do hair and I went through 16 programs and, you know, I was saying, you know, well, God, what about this? What about that? And he said, I had 12. Why do you want more than that? And I was like, <laughs> I never looked at that again. I'm like, yeah. you know what? You're that's, so right. I want to be like you, That's good. you know? So, all right. Well, well, one thing that's really awesome about radical restoration is in our graduates, we've had 100% of zero recidivism. Wow, that's so No good. woman that's graduated this program has ever went back to prison. That's so good. 
I mean, we've had the ones that quit and, right, you know, right. went their own way and ended up going back or whatever. Well, even Teen Challenge, uh, we've been around Teen Challenge for a long time. And, and Teen and Life life Challenge, the adult version, um, the, the one that's by our house in DeSoto, they have like an 85% success rate for people who complete the program. Mm-hmm. But for people that drop out, the success rate of them being successful somewhere else is down like below 20%. Right, right, right. You know, and so... The program works. If you stay through, I, I really believe in Teen and Life Challenge, and I love it. Um, we we've served Allie, over our house. Mom Allie is a. She told me she showed me her. Uh, she showed me her certificate. Um, you know we've been in we've been doing the transitional house thing now for for um, eight years, and we've served almost 175 guys, and we have about a seven percent recidivism rate. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look at the guys that are in that recidivism rate, and a lot of them are are, are the ones that I wasn't supposed to take in. And mm-hmm. yeah. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like, oh, it's man. all about You're staying right. in know, your lane. Yeah, yeah. We're trying yeah. to get back to that because that is such a, a compassionate heart for people struggling in addiction. You know. But. Well, that's something God really showed Dawn early on in this, and she's told me about that. The ones He gives her. They have grace. She has grace for those. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Those are the ones that that are hers. Yeah. And so as long good. as you take those, yeah, it's all good. So yeah. good. It's and the that, one, it's the know, ones that you just reaching out trying to because I mean you just you feel. But Jesus did that too. You know, mm-hmm. uh, even at the pool of Bethesda, there's only that one man he went to. Yeah. You got to do what you see yeah. the Father do. Oh yeah. And hear what oh, your yeah. Father hear what the Father says, as far as who it is. So where what's is there. Future vision, future plans, expand. What what do y'all want to do? So we just want to raise up daughters to um, walk in the calling that God's called them to, you know, whether it's to be a teacher or to be a mom or, you know, to run homes, whatever, work in prison ministry. Be We've got one girl that's a teacher, you know, at elementary school. We've got one that's a CPA. You know, whatever it is that God's called them to do, we just want to really disciple them and encourage and push them to their potential. And, you know, whatever that is, whether it's ministry or just being a, you know, an amazing mom to your family. Yeah. So what if somebody, a family somewhere else is thinking, man, I wish there was something like that close to me so that when my daughter comes home from prison, she has something to go to. Even though that daughter could come here to the current ones, do you have... What are your thoughts on expanding and having other homes in other cities? Are y'all? Our vision is to expand. You know, my heart is to have ministries all over so that not one woman that truly desires to, you know, leave incarceration and start all over, you know, that there's a place for her to do that. Because I know for myself, I wanted to change, but nobody would take me because of my record, you know, and I want to be that one to catch her, you know, when she comes out that says. It really takes a community support, though, when, you know, in the area you want to go to that um, you can't just pick somewhere and go there. It has to be, I mean, God leads you to the places because there's people that are praying and there's people that he has, you know, in place to help. So put good. it all together so because good. I mean we're just two people we can't do it all that's so and good. they got to have I mean that's one thing you know you hear these words about the billion so harvests and all this stuff but I really don't believe God's going to bring that about until there's a place for him to go yeah, yeah. so good you, you know gotta, what I mean you got to get yeah. prepared for it and I really believe if the you're pres- not prepared to receive the harvest the harvest right. is useless sure yeah. 
And we're stronger together. You know, there's so much competition in the world right now, but we're all on the same team. And when we lock arms together and advance the kingdom together, man, it's just going to bring revival to the nation. Yeah, God's really shown us that revival's coming from the prisons. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, You know, he's starting fires in there all over. My friend Robert Madu, he's an evangelist that travels the world. Um, he, He said, when I first got out of prison, he was preaching a sermon and he made the statement. He said, "He said some of our greatest evangelists of the future are in prison right now." Yeah, and and I believe that. I, believe I do that. He too. said that 14 years ago when I got out of prison. I, so. I tell the guys a lot of time when I go in there. I said, "Don't you ever wonder why it's always you getting locked up? Yeah. Why? Why you got a lot of homeboys out there running around doing the same thing you're doing? They ain't getting locked yeah. up. There's an anointing on your life. It's and because the enemy knows it's because it. the enemy knows it too. Yeah. And I've told people that too, and I've gone to share too. I tell them, you know why you're here? Because you're valuable. Yeah. Right. You keep yeah. your valuables in a safe. You yeah. keep them locked up yeah. until yeah. they're ready to be used to bring about the. And see, I never heard that before. Them. You know, in there, people come and say, "Oh, you're dirty, rotten sinner. You need to repent." Which I mean, you need to repent, true enough. But yeah. I already knew I was doing bad. I'm sitting here in white uniform. You know what I mean? I knew I was wrong, but nobody ever told me I was valuable. So, were there any challenges that either one of y'all uh, faced uh, in society, like trying to find jobs, trying to find places to live? You know, that that, that felon um, label hindered you from... Oh, absolutely. When I got out of prison, you know, I tell people I had not one person that believed I'd ever make it because of my past. You know, living homeless, prostitute, eating out of dumpsters to coming out saying, oh, I've given my life to Jesus and I'm going to have a homes for women, you know. and But I knew that I had had an encounter with God and I yeah. knew that if I stayed just face to face with him and stayed in that place you know, that he would teach me and guide me. And um, I'm a barber. And so going into barber shops gave me really um, an open door so that I didn't have a background check and stuff like that, but um, really gave me the ability to do that. But I tell you, just um, staying steadfast and immovable and seeing, letting people see the fruit of your life. You know what I mean? Fruit that remains. Yeah. You know, um, because there were a whole lot of doubters and a whole lot of people that spoke against it. But, you know, walking to work and walking to church and doing what I had to do, you know, to be able to pay off my debt to society, you know, to get a driver's license or to be able to build my credit, you know, to get a car. And, you know, there was a lot of hard days, but I learned to do a lot of things hard, the hard way. So just turning that determination that I had at one time for the bad, you know, for the good. And I tell you know, I go in the prisons and speak all the time, and I tell these girls, you know, if you'll put half of what you did to walk 20 miles to go get a hit of, you know, a shot at heroin in the middle of the night, if you'll put half of that determination into, yeah. you know, doing good and so persevering good. through the hard times and not allowing, you know, um, things to disrupt you. You know, I had a really hard time coming out and going to church. I was really excited about the things God had done in my life. And I'm like, you know, I got set free from 26 years. I having a needle in my arm and I was a prostitute and I didn't know anything about denomination. So I just went in the closest church I could and I ran up in this, I'm not going to name the denomination, but they turned me around <laughs> and told guess. me, they turned me around and they said, uh, well, you don't belong here. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And, you know, I learned see, about people Jesus. People don't think that exists. People, oh, when my, I tell people it's hard for it's people coming so out of prison bad. to find even a place yeah. to go to church, yeah. they're like, I don't know what you mean by that. All yeah. churches, you yeah. know, I'm like, no, they're not. That's, they're not. that's so not true. And I experienced 
um, a lot of judgment and yeah. stuff like that when I first came out. And I didn't know the difference because I had learned straight out of the word of God. I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't know the difference. And I, I went up in my spirit-filled, happy, zealous <laughs> self, and, and I just told everybody about what you God had done. Them. You I did. Them. I terrified them. Yeah. yeah, I did. I terrified them, but that's okay. You know what's interesting that I found just listening to both of you talk? You, were, you both admitted that in your old man life, your old life, you were fighters. Oh, yeah. And I still see you as fighters. Mm-hmm. You're fighting. You're putting all that energy, yeah. that effort, the determination into fighting for others. When I first got out of prison, I was in one of my pastor's Bible study, and he asked two questions. He said, he said I want you to talk about your table, and I'm going to ask you. He said, what is your favorite thing about being a Christian, and what's the hardest thing about being a Christian? So when he came to me and I said, the fight, he said, well, which answer is that for? I said, that's for both questions. That's, that's my answer to both questions. My favorite thing about Christianity is that I get to fight. I get to fight for my own soul, for my family, for other people, you know, and, 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 but it's also the hardest thing. Yeah. It's also the, hard, the most challenging, but it's the most rewarding. But I see both of you as just, as, as, it's, ain't, it's it fun, ain't it funny how it's the religious community, you know, yeah. that yeah. you have to fight? Yeah. One of, yeah. one of I, the, never, I never had a crackhead tell me I was doctrinally unsound. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. <laughs> one of the things God showed me in confinement was I was known for having a Glock. Like, I was putting guns to people's head and kicking in doors and, you know, the cute little 95-pound girl on crack that you never, ex- <laughs> you know, they never, they never thought that it'd be me that put a gun to their head. And I'm being in confinement. God began to show me all the counterfeits I walked in. And one of the counterfeits he showed me was that Glock. And he said, it's time for you to trade that Glock in for a sword. And um, and he showed me that um, my anger was the counterfeit for passion. And that I was still going to kick doors in, but I was going to use a sword. And that, you know, and he began to show me that the kingdom suffered violence and the violent taking up by force. And that scripture set me free because my entire life, I thought that being a fighter was a bad thing and I was yeah. constantly in trouble for it. So it, most of my charges were for fighting. Yeah. And God began to show me that he created me to be a fighter. You know, I just had to get my theology right. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. And, yeah. And um, he, he brought a healing for me in that area too because I, I would always ask God, like, God, why, why are these people like that? Why, why they won't give me a chance? Why, you know what I mean? And he, he really showed me, took me back to that story about the gathering demoniac. And he showed me, you know, the people after the, the guy got set free and he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, the, the people came down and they begged Jesus to leave. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, they, were, they didn't want no part of it. And he really showed me that they would rather have that dude running around in their graveyard because at least they can point their finger at him right. and say, I'm not that bad. Right. I'm better than, off than he is. Hmm. Right? And, and that's the way it is sometimes. Sometimes your transformation is, takes away their excuses. Yeah. yeah. One of the things God that's showed good. me in, in the Passion Translation in Colossians 3, one it says his resurrection is your resurrection to you. And that's what you fight with is knowing that the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's really what this program is. It's yeah. kind of a boot camp where you yeah. come here and you learn how to fight. You know, because the world's going to come against you. You know, the system's going to tell you you're a convicted felon and you can't get a job. But what do you do with that? You know, when I got 
uh, pretty much thrown out of church. I didn't give up and say, oh, church people are bad. I'm not going. I'm like, you know what? You're just the wrong tribe. I'm going to find my tribe. I walked about a mile and a half down the road to another church, and the pastor happened to be a guy that started Teen Challenge in Tallahassee. And he brought me in, and he took me under his wing and said, this is your tribe. This is where you belong. You know, and if I had given up and gotten offended, you know, but I'm not a give up girl. I'm going to fight for what, you know, God has for me. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That reminds me when we, when I got engaged to my wife, uh, she told me, you know, we're getting pretty close to the wedding date and she's like, well, we got to find some place to live. And I'm just getting nervous as all get out, you know, because I'm a felon. My wife's never been in trouble before in, Mm -hmm. in, in in her life. And so, uh, she didn't understand when when she told me she goes I want to live in these apartment complexes right mm-hmm. here. You understand? Brand you can't new, just pick where brand you new had uh, said Bella Rossello luxury apartments on it, <laughs> and I said, "All right, I'll try." She didn't know what I meant by it. She's like, "What do you mean you'll try?" Yeah. You? I don't know what that means. And so, uh, <laughs> but I went to them, and, and I handed my application to the lady, and. Um, I guess I look like a felon because she turned to that page of the application, <laughs> right? Where she tried right to that page to where it says, have you ever been convicted of a felony? She goes, oh, Mr. Gum, I'm sorry. Our apartment complex, our policies, we don't take felons. And, you know, when I was in prison, I was praying another prayer. And I said, God, I said, you want me to do all these things, but I got this word, this label that's attached to my name the rest of my life. I could get expungement. I could get pardons. But there's always going to be a paper trail that leads me back to this label that I'm a felon. And I said, it's going to be hard to accomplish all these things with this label on me. Mm-hmm. Is there anything you can do to make this label go away, make this word? And, and he assured me that there was never going to be any way to make it go away. He <laughs> said, but he said, let me take you back to English class. He said, the word felon is a noun. You can't change the definition of a noun. You just can't. It's a noun. It's a person, place, mm-hmm. thing. You can't change, but you can change the way you look at that noun by putting an adjective in front of it. And he kind of used, like, he's like, hair. There's brown hair. Hair is just a word. It's a noun. We don't know anything about it other than we know it's hair. But then when you start putting words in front of it, like brown hair, curly hair, straight hair, no hair, gray hair, you know, that word in front of it changes your perspective, the adjective changes the perspective on the noun, the way you see it. Sure. And so he said, from this day forward, you're going to have an adjective in front of your noun that's going to change the way you look at yourself. You're going to help people to change the mindset of just being a felon. But this day forward, and he kind of did it Old Testament ceremony, and mm-hmm. even New Testament, when he changed Peter, Simon to, uh, Simon to Peter, mm-hmm. he kind of said, your name is not going to be felon. Your label is not going to be felon. Your, your, your name is going to be forgiven felon. And that, that adjective is going to change the way you look at yourself. Society <laughs> looks at yourself. You let people know you're not a felon. You're a forgiven felon. Love it. That's and incredible. so that's, that's why when I tell people it was a mindset change before it was the name of our ministry, that's where that all came from. And so uh, I said all that because I, what were we talking about right before that? Because I was going to tell you that, you know, Satan... This ain't it, but one thing I, I know for sure, Satan is the original identity thief. Yeah. Yeah. And that's his whole goal is to get us off of our identity. Sure. One of the things, though, that I like about God is he, he, when he approaches us, he, he knows how to speak to us. You said the way he approached you in that cell was it's like you couldn't describe it other than just he crashed. Mm-hmm. Earlier in your testimony, you talked about how 
you were kind of labeled a crash dummy. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. I love how God just comes on our level, speaks to us in a way that that we he knows we'll understand him, mm. receive him, and then be able to just go out and and, and spread that. Yeah. And, uh, One of the things that he really spoke to me about is I grew up with a lot of labels. So yeah. I was dyslexic, I had ADHD, I was autistic, had Asperger's, had learning disabilities. Um, you're never going to be anything. You can't sit still. You can't be quiet. And I asked God, sitting in that um, confinement, I'm like, what do you say about that? Yeah. Why did you create me like this? And um, I said, what do you say about ADHD? You know, God, you know, why, why am I like that? And he said, Dawn, I didn't create you to be still and be quiet. I put fire in your feet and mm. I'm giving you a message, <laughs> you know, to carry back into the world. And it's taking the, the world's labels and asking God what he says about that and getting your true identity through Jesus. Because once he changed that identity in me, I was determined to go back to school and now I have, now have a PhD. Wow. So, you know, the 46-time felon and the 26 years of drug addiction, there's a PhD that goes behind that, that when I go to court and I fight for girls, you know, what is the reason that a judge can court order, you know, a girl to us rather than sending her to prison? And it's because of the testimony yeah. of Jesus Christ of how... You know, he changed those labels into who he says we are. Wow. Wow. So good. All right. So <laughs> we're going to put all the information uh, for your ministry uh, in the show notes. So anybody listening can just uh, click on any of the links to know more about Radical Restoration Ministries. Uh, we're going to we're going to put can I, if I can put those links to like the CBN Sure. stories and sure. whatever you've done and just so people can see more you know sure. what you've done absolutely on tv so um so uh man what else what else do y'all want to say to what do, what do you want to say to i don't know if there's anybody in your life or your life at the time when you start dating somebody who has a background even though you have a background yourself mm-hmm. was there anybody in y'all's lives mentors anybody that was saying Oh, I don't know. You know, they got their, they got some stuff in their past that, you know, that, uh, you may want to be careful or were y'all just being careful from the end, from the beginning, your mentors, you, you had them, you know, any, did you get any objections from any of your friends or mentors when, when y'all started? Um, well, I think the, or parents, the, or the thing or that, yeah, that I could say the most would be, you know, when you're, when you're so close to Christ that you really can't even see room for another gotcha. person, you know what I mean? Then when God brings that person, just like yeah. you said with your wife, you know that you know that you know that it's from God. You know, there's no question about, yeah. you know, are we unevenly yoked? So everybody when, that was in your life at that time could see the same thing. Yeah. Okay. Everybody, everybody. Everybody in my life and my wife's yeah. life saw the same thing except her dad. Yeah. <laughs> well, you her could dad, say only. Because her dad knew me all my life. Yeah. You know, and when I when I told Jessamy all that stuff about the prayer and the there you are yeah. and all that stuff, she's like, Well, you know you gotta talk to dad. And I'm yeah. like, I know. And and so he did what probably every father of protective father mm-hmm. of their last daughter to get married would do yeah. when a guy that just gets out of prison comes and says, I want to date your yeah. daughter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and so uh, so he's like, Let me see. She's been on the mission field in Thailand for three years. And you've been, oh, in prison for three years. Right, yeah. And you want to date, you know, and then it's so funny because fast forward about a year and a half, I went over there to the house to ask permission, you know, um, 
because he made it pretty clear to me that 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 he that probably I would probably never have his blessing. But I went over there, and when I went over there, uh, now Jessamy, my wife, is six foot. Um, her her sister's the same height, and her shortest brother is like six four, six five, I think. Her dad's six seven. She got a six ten brother, so they're all huge. I get over there, and her dad and a couple of the sons. Uh, have chainsaws and they're and they're chopping trees off. And <laughs> I call my mom. I'm like, uh oh. She's like, it's probably not a good time to ask him where he's headed. <laughs> That's funny. But uh, but but you know somehow God showed him because he was yeah. he was actually working in Florida at the time when I got yeah. out of prison. So he's only coming in town once a month and he wasn't able to see the new me yet. Yeah. You know, and so he was just being protective. I mean, you know. Yeah. But um, but I tell all my single friends. I don't know if y'all do the same thing. I tell all my single friends. Especially the ladies when they're like, "Well, why hasn't God sent me my man yet?" I'm like, "Well, he's probably still forming him and shaping him yeah. into the man that you need." She's yeah. like, oh, "That sounds so good." So you know, when he makes parole, then you know, they're like, <laughs> "They're like, wait, what?" Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, so anyway, I, t- I love telling that yeah. to people. You know, that's awesome. Uh, but anyway, well, yeah. guys, it's been a it's been a privilege and an honor. Thank you. It's um, been an honor being on. Yeah, Thank you so much for having yeah, us. Uh, and, and, you know, I don't know how we'll do this, uh, how it'll actually air, but, you know, on every podcast platform, Google Podcasts, uh, Apple and everything. But uh, I don't know if we'll do, make it one episode or two, but I uh, kind of like the one episode. I just loved hanging out with you guys. Mm-hmm. And thank you for oh, your thank time. You. Thank you for letting us get to uh, meet the meet the ladies. Mm-hmm. And uh, and thank you all for all you do. Thank you for letting thank us you. be a part of it. Yeah. Thank you. All right. Well, That's awesome. Okay. See you down the road. All right. Okay, so to wrap up this episode, I just want to start by saying that you are never too far gone for God to use you in a mighty way. And these two, Ron and Don, are living proof. Also, you've never done too much bad that God doesn't have someone great in your future. But did you hear what they both said? They were so focused on God doing the things that he wanted them to do And they were so intimately close to him that they knew right away that this was the relationship that he had for them. Also, if you don't have a list of things that you want to see in your future mate, like yellow roses with red tips, you better get to writing. God loves you and he wants the best for you. You are his favorite. And lastly, I've been hearing a lot during this COVID-19 season that we're in about how everyone's scared because they're releasing, you know, violent criminals. No, they're not. They're releasing people like Ron and Don. All right, check out the links below to see Ron and Don's specials on CBN. Visit their website at RadicalRestorationMinistries.com, especially if you have a woman, in, a, a female friend in prison who needs a good transitional or transformational house. Uh, give them a give them a shout and see if they can help you out. All right, so um, we'll see you on the next episode of Background Check. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Background Check podcast, brought to you by Forgiven Felons, helping people with a past realize their future. For more information, please visit forgivenfelons.org. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook. And please don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss the latest episode. I'm J.D. Gum, and this has been Background Check.